You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Okay, so we have an, a, yet another really epic battle here in the Exodus story. We've been working through the Exodus story. It's the second to last week in our 15-week series, so we're just about done. If you're joining us for the first time, that's okay. Um, God's Word is, is good, whether we come in in the middle, end, or beginning of it. Um, and there's a lot to learn from it. Uh, but we'll have a new series um, in the beginning of, of July, and, and we're excited about that. But, and today, we're actually reading the most that we've read through this series, and I just couldn't chop this up. But this is one of those epic stories that I want you just to sit back, and I want you to hear God's Word. I want you to immerse yourself in this story and see what God is doing um, it takes a little bit of time, not too long, but take a little bit of time to read through this. We'll be reading in, in uh, chapter 13. Um, we cover the telling of the Israelites' passage through the Red Sea. This is when God parts the waters and they walk on dry land and the Egyptian army is defeated and Pharaoh is, destro- is defeated um, and God's people have victory over their oppressors. So let's bring our attention to hear God's word. Exodus 13 starting in verse 17, and then we'll read through chapter 14. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up and out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, and for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire by night did not depart from the peop- from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-hahiroth between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land; the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart." And he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi-Hahiroth in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, 
They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Now harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. And made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. This is God's word. An epic story and one we've looked forward to for a few months as we have journeyed through their oppression and their escape from Egypt, and now seeing God's power over their enemies. You know the saying in Arizona about termites, right? You either have termites or you're going to have termites, right? I just thought this was like a marketing ploy for the termite companies until we got termites in our, in our old house. 
And this is a fitting metaphor, I think, for today. That we either need to hear this passage today, we're either in a place in our life where we need to hear this passage, or a time will come when we need to hear this passage. And the main theological point of this passage is found in the heart of this narrative, and that is in verse 13 and 14 of chapter 14, which says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Some of us are in a place right now in our life where we need to hear this. We need to hear God's reassurance that he is with us, that he fights for us, that all we need to do is surrender our life and heart to him, and he will take care of us. But you may be thinking the person that needs to hear that story is maybe someone who's going through a hard time, and things have been relatively smooth for you. You're experiencing relative comfort and ease in your life. But there will come a time where you will need this. The truth of the matter is, if, if you and I live long enough, you'll experience deep discouragement in your life. You'll experience deep despair, deep loss, deep pain. And for the one who is in the midst of trouble, a passage like this is everything to them. When they feel trapped in, when they feel overcome by their, by their discouragement, by their grief, it's everything to them to hear God say, I'm with you. I will fight for you. Wait upon me. The most human thing to do in, in, in a time of, of trouble, the most natural way to react when there's grief is through discouragement doubt, pain. It's the most natural thing to do when something hard happens in our life is just to feel sad and broken. When the bottom falls out of our marriage, of our life, our career, it's common for our thoughts to dominate our lives and to cause us to be tossed around like a piece of paper in a tornado. Not really knowing how to get footing in our life, not knowing how to get grounded. We just don't know what's happening. We don't know what's going on in our life, and we don't know how to get comfortable again. You see, God's people had been rescued from slavery. They left Egypt, but their struggle is long from over. They are now being pursued by the greatest and strongest army on the face of the earth, and this passage gives us great insight into the way God works in the midst of our suffering. It gives us great insight into the wisdom of God for our lives when we are facing trouble because you're either facing trouble right now and you need this or a day will come where you will need it or it's possible that you have experienced this kind of pain in your life and it will come again. And so let's look at some of these great insights in this wonderful story of God's rescue for his people. The first insight, most obvious, is that the, the quickest way to comfort is not always the best way. It's hard to hear. It's hard to realize that when we are hurting, uh, some of the thoughts that go through our mind are, let's just get this over with. Let's just rip off the band-aid. You know, that's our, our normal plan of action when we are facing difficulty is get through it as quickly as we can. And sometimes that's God's desire. Sometimes it's his kindness that we get through it very quickly and relatively unscathed by the consequences of it. But sometimes God leads us into the wilderness. 
Sometimes in the midst of pain, God doesn't take us through the quicker way. He actually takes us through the long way. Take note of what verse 17 says. God does, does not lead his people, people through the quicker way, but God led his people through the wilderness towards what felt like a dead end, the Red Sea. You know, let, let me show you here just for some perspective. We, you don't always read the maps at the back of your Bible, but sometimes it's helpful. Okay, so Goshen is where they were in Egypt. The land of Canaan there at the top right is the land that God had promised to them. Straight shot. The blue line is where God took them. The red line is the U-turn that they took later. And then the dotted line is the 40 years of wandering afterwards. Sometimes your spiritual walk feels like that too, doesn't it? Here's where I am. Here is where I feel entrapped. Here's where I feel like I'm struggling. And the promise that God is giving me, the land of Canaan, right? The promised land where there will be peace and the presence of God forever, where my oppressors will be defeated forever, where I can just be with God. That's where I want to go, God. I just want, to, I want a straight shot. I want, I want to just grow in a straight line. But God leads us on this crooked, winding, long road. Your, your walk with the Lord feel like that? Sometimes you might think, well, I, can't, I can't understand like, how I can identify with the Old Testament people of God. Well, I think that graphic is a, changes that perspective, hopefully. We can identify with what it looks like to follow God. That winding road, it's, it's never a straight shot. It's filled with pain. It's filled with discouragement. It's filled with confusion. It's filled with so many times that we feel that we are at a dead end. And sometimes, actually what we learn about here explicitly is God is the one who led them on that journey. Why? That's a good question, right? Why? Why does God work in that way? It's a fair question to ask, but the, the answer might not be immediately satisfying to you because God's path is always better for you. God knows what you don't know. God knows what is there, and God knew he, for his people, if I take them on that short path, that will get, they won't get there. They will revert back to a life of slavery. They will become afraid. If I take them there, they will see the, Philist, the, uh, the Philistine people who are gigantic, war-liking people. They are, they are barbarians, and they will be so terrified for the war that is raging in that journey. Uh, in that region, that they will turn back and say, ah, slavery wasn't so bad after all. Let's go back to Egypt. God knew his people would do that. He knew that they would not find ultimate rescue. He knew they wouldn't find ultimate peace if they went that way. And that is why God often leads us on detours in our life, which are filled with disappointment, which are filled with a lot of waiting, and which are filled with a lot of discouragement. God knows what is best for us. He sees what is beyond our life at this moment. He has ordained it. He has fashioned it. He knows what is there. He knows the path that we ought to take. And it is it's often not the path that we have set out for ourselves. See, pain and discomfort in life is so difficult that we would, we would often forfeit God's best for us if it meant that we could remove the pain from our life today. See, if God presented this to the people and said, well, 
what would you like? Would you like a winding 40-year journey to the land of promise, or would you like a quick, like, three-and-a-half-week journey to the land of promise? But the land of promise is going to be filled with, you know, I mean, that, that journey will be filled with a lot of pain, a lot of, you'll, you'll actually never get there. You see, we would, we don't like discomfort so much. We would actually, we would prefer to forfeit a deeper knowing of God's love for us if it meant just a life of a little bit more comfort. But God wants more for you. God knows what is best for us. And the quicker way is often not the better way. If we resist that path that God has put you on, he's put each and every one of you on a path. He's led you, many of you, into a wilderness. If it hasn't happened, it will happen. If we live long enough, we will experience that pain. And he puts you on that path because he loves you and cares for you. And if you resist that plan and path of God, you will forfeit the wisdom, the insight, the deep knowing of God that comes from that longer journey. Don't forfeit it. The quicker way for the Israelites would have returned them right back where they started. God knows that if they went the short way, they would be scared. And they would have said, it's not worth it. Let's go back. And his point is proven immediately, if you remember this long that His point is proven. I know that you'll get scared and you'll turn back. Because as soon as they lifted up their eyes and saw the Egyptians, what did they say? We knew we should, we would have, we wanted to serve the Egyptians. Like, what? Why did you take us out of Egypt? We knew we should have never left. Better, better to serve in hell than reign, you know, or better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. No, it's not. It's not better. That's the, that's the dumbest thing to say. We would rather be slaves in Egypt, but have our lives, than be afraid and risk our lives, but be with God. God wouldn't have it any other way. He loves us too much. God knows where we are weak in faith. He knows what we cannot handle. He knows that what is too heavy for us to bear. And he knows if he gave us the choice and if he gave us, if he gave us the rule of our lives, we would never choose him. We would never choose that harder path. We would never choose the deeper relationship with God. He does the same. We see the, the wisdom of God here. We see the loving Father that He is for His people. It's not merely just like a wartime strategy. In fact, this is the worst war strategy ever. He's guiding His children to His promised blessing, knowing there are challenges along the way, knowing that it will be very uncomfortable for them, but knowing in the midst of that, they will grow deeper in trust and in, in His love than they had before, and he wants that for them, and so he leads them into that. He leads us on a path that will expose our insecurities, our fears, so that we can more deeply know his love for us. That's why God does it. And in the midst of the detour, God is their faithful companion. I mean, this, it's not that just we should trust God. Look at here in verse 21. The Lord went before them by day and by night. He did not depart from his people. That's what our passage tells us all day long, God was showing them, I'm with you. All night long, he was showing them, I'm with you. God is their faithful companion. God is, is their steadfast travel companion. God is their enduring friend. 
He says the same for us as, we, as he puts us on this path and this journey that's filled with pain and discouragement but leads deeper into knowing him. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. You will always know me and see me. In the midst of difficulty and fear, the people of God were being led by the Spirit of God. God's people were literally being led by the Spirit. You've heard of that phrase before? I feel led by the Spirit. That phrase is often used today by Christians to explain some kind of mystical or emotional experience that they have with God. It's, it's a way of describing this special kind of hidden revelation that they have from God. They've tapped into like this hidden knowledge. I feel led by the Spirit. God is leading me to do this or that. And to be led by the Spirit can often, the way we use it sometimes inappropriately, is that it can sound like a special knowledge from God that other people are unaware of or can't access. But being led by the Spirit is not a mystical experience. It's an obvious and real experience. Imagine if one of the Israelites would have said, like, guys, I really feel like the Spirit of God is leading us in this direction. They would say, of course he is. I mean, like, you see that pillar of smoke? (laughs) Like, how'd you figure? Because the Spirit of God is leading us in this direction. I just feel led in that direction. Yeah, we're all going that direction. That's where God is pointing us. He's literally showing us the way to go. There's a pillar of smoke. There's a pillar of fire. He hasn't departed from us. The Spirit of God is leading His people to follow God, to be led by the Spirit today is not a mystical experience in which we must receive and plead with God for some special and hidden guidance from Him. To be led by the Spirit today is to continually say no to the temptation of our own way and to follow God in the path that He has clearly marked out for us through His Word. He has shown Himself. He has made Himself evident. He has shown us His wisdom, His truth, His commands. He has shown us the person and work of Jesus. He has shown us our need because of our sin and our rescue in Christ. And He says, this is the way to walk. This is the way to follow. We are being led by the Spirit every time we set our hearts not on earthly comforts, or earthly treasures, but on the reality of our redeemed life through the sacrifice of Christ. To be led by the Spirit today is to say, God, I, I want comfort. I want this shorter route to comfort, but you have placed me somewhere else, maybe. And so to be led by the Spirit, Spirit is to wait on you, to trust in you, to see who I am as your redeemed and saved people, and you will never leave me. You'll never depart from me. Following God's path, following Jesus, will often feel like we're going in the wrong direction. It just doesn't feel right. There will be times, I promise, and maybe you can resonate with this, that there will be times when the right thing just feels utterly like the wrong thing. How could this be the way to go if it's so uncomfortable? If God really loves me, he'll want me to be happy. If God really loves me, he'll want me to be blessed in this way. And yet he's calling me to a faithfulness to him that results in 
loss, discouragement, disappointment. Why would God ever do that? To show His glory. He tells us why, to sh- to, to, so that we can go deeper into relationship with Him, so that He can dismantle those all of those sources of encouragement in our, li- in our life that we are placing above Him. All of those things that we are making an idol and a God in our life where He should be the only one who is sufficient for us. We often feel like we're going in the wrong direction, and that is because looking at another, another thing in our passage here is that living by faith will always be challenged by discouragements around us. It's another obvious thing we see in this passage here. Our second insight from this scripture, looking at the Egyptians, what do the Israelites do? They become afraid, they become discouraged, and they become despairing. They would rather suffer lifelong slavery than face the fear of going deeper in trusting God. Just trusting God is just too hard, they say. Trusting God is just too painful. It's too uncertain. There's too many discouragements. I just don't know what's coming. And at least in slavery and lifelong oppression, I knew what was coming tomorrow. And with God, I don't know what's going to happen, and that just scares me. And so they wanted the easy way. Isn't that true for us? Isn't it true for you sometimes? God is just too unpredictable. I don't know where he's leading me, and that's just hard. We don't like pain. We don't like discomfort. Suffering can overwhelm us. Pain can consume us. Discouragements will dominate our thoughts, and it's just too much of a struggle. And we can't always see what God is doing, and sometimes when we see what he is doing, it actually feels like a trap. God leads his people out from the greatest military power the world has known up to this point, and he leads them right into the edge of the Red Sea. Their backs are against the Red Sea, this huge body of water. On one side and on the other are two mountains, and then right in front of them is the strongest army pursuing them. And they say, thanks a lot, God. You led us right to this point. I don't know if, if that feels more like a trap than anything else in the Bible. And they say, you led us right into a trap. How can you be trusted? He leads them right into a trap. Why? Why does God do that? Why does God corner us like that sometimes? God says to show his own glory and so that they would know that he is the Lord. This raises an important reflection on the reasons we attribute sometimes to the difficulties in our life. When you encounter discouragement and loss and struggle and pain, why is that happening to you? The quick answer, the quick spiritual answer to that question is that the hard things that we experience in this world is the result of living in a sin-filled and broken world. It's just a a kind of a, a secondary consequence of living in a broken world. Bad things happen. Another answer is that knowingly or unknowingly, we're in the position that we're in because of our own sin. And so at some point, we got off of the path that God called us on, and that is what led us into a corner. And third, my personal favorite is, it's someone else's fault. (laughs) I'm here because it's you. It's someone else's fault. The Israelites blame Moses 
And at some point, when you and I suffer, we just start pointing fingers. Now, in some way, there's an element of truth to all of those experiences, but they don't tell the whole story. And God wants us to know in this passage that, that these, there are common explanations to why things are happening, but what's happening here and what's happening actually in all of our lives as God is the sovereign king and ruler of our lives, people found themselves in the wilderness because God wanted them there. They found themselves cornered by the Egyptians because God led them precisely there. And in leading them to that point, it felt like a cruel trap. But God would be giving his people something that they didn't know they needed. They're about to see a sight that they'll never forget. They're about to see something they could, if you gave them a hundred guesses, a thousand guesses. Okay, Israelites, what do you think is going to happen now? They would have never said, I don't know, I'm thinking the sea is just going to open up and we're going to walk on dry land. Never would have said it. And so they just went to the most natural feeling. It's like, we're dead. What good can come from this? And that's how we feel when God puts us in a life of suffering, when he puts us in seasons of pain and discouragement. We say, where did, where did we get off on the wrong turn? Did God do this? Well, then God is cruel. Is it because of my sin? Well, then that means I'm a failure. Is it your fault? Then, then, then you need to be punished. Is it because of a broken world? Well, then Jesus, just get me out of here and take me home. And, and God wants, he wants something different than all of those scenarios. He says, I've, I've brought you to this point so you will know that I am the Lord and there's no one greater and you belong to me. I have brought you here so that, so that my glory, my impact, my influence, my love, my care for you will, will, will never be misunderstood and never forgotten. I want you to know how much I love you, and so I am going to create a scenario that will be so obvious that nothing in this world can take you away from me. And you can trust me. If you look at verse 10 again, it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there's no graves in Egypt you brought us here? (laughs) I love that. Oh, you brought us to the wilderness because there's no place to bury us back there. I mean, this is like sarcastic, right? They're like mocking him. That's why you brought us out here, space for our dead bodies. Is it not this, what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Whoa. My, how they have forgotten. They cried out for 400 years for God to rescue them. And now they're saying, we just want to serve the Egyptians. What happened? It's obvious. They took their eyes off of God's faithfulness. They looked at their fears. A life of faith in God will always be challenged when we take our gaze off of God and we fix it on our circumstances. It's so clear in this passage is what Moses is telling us is that they looked up and they saw the Egyptians coming towards them and they feared greatly and Moses' response to them was, look instead, at the salvation of the Lord that will be yours today. And then he says, now you see them, now you don't. (laughs) 
He says, you see them now, but soon you will never see them again. I've found the fo- that following God would be so much easier if things just happened the way that I wanted them to. Am I alone in that? No? If, if things would just happen as I expected, if people just acted the way that they're supposed to, if I just did the things that God asked me to do, things would just be easier. It'd be easy to follow God. But that's not the way things happen. And God says, I want you to know my glory. And when the Bible uses the word glory, it means a sense of weight and significance. As if to say there's, there's nothing more significant than God. There's no opinion that matters more than God's. There's, no, there's nothing in this world, no relationship more transformational than relationship with God. There's no joy that, that is better and more pleasing than the joy of the Lord. There's no comfort that we were made for more than that of the Lord. His glory, His impact, His relationship, that's what we are created for. And it's in God's mercy that He would stop at nothing to make sure His people found it. And how many times they said, we don't want it. How many times they ran in the opposite direction, and so God pinned them in. And he says, you will see it, because I will not give up on you. Because your rescue is not determined on your character, or your endurance, or your work, but on my faithfulness to you. There's no value in this world that outweighs the value of knowing God in our lives. There is no value in this world. There's no pleasure that outweighs a deeper knowing of God. And that means it is the mercy of God when he strips our lives of the sources of comfort and encouragement that we were putting in his place. The affirmation of others, our accolades in work, a love of our spouse, the obedience of our children. Whatever thing that brings you comfort and joy, we place those things in in the place of God. And God says, you will never be satisfied unless I dismantle those idols and show you that there's none like me. we're, We're not meant to live by sight. We're meant to live by faith. We're we're not meant to live by sight in our circumstances, but live by faith in God's promises. The Israelites have no idea what's about to happen. They're living by sight. We see the Egyptians and we're afraid. And, And Moses says, you need to change your vision. You need to take your eyes off of your fears and your circumstances and place them back on God. Neuroscientists have learned a lot about the limbic system You know, that's the fight-or-flight system in our bodies. When we encounter fear and danger, we act in a certain way, right? We fight or we flight, and they have added another one. And some of you are like, finally, because it's freeze. (laughs) Fight, flight, or freeze. You You just go paralyzed, right? Some fight. When hard things happen in our life, what do we do? Some of us become very defensive. We attack. We We prove ourselves. We try to convince others that, you know, we, we, we're, we're not weak, we don't have limits, that we are special and good, and they need to know that. Sometimes we become very aggressive, either emotionally, verbally, physically. Some fight with God. When we feel a sense of dejection or pain or suffering, we try to prove to God that we can be good and holy people. We dig into the scriptures. We, we read harder and longer. We pray. We, we do all these spiritual activities to, to, to prove to God that we are acceptable. 
Some flee, right? We might go emotionally numb, or we might even do whatever we can do to smooth over conflict so that no one is sad. We run from the problem. I just want to be comfortable. I want to go back to peace. Some freeze, paralyzed by inaction. They don't know what to do. They lose all sense of like what's wise behavior, and they're just stuck. You know, these responses are learned responses. Think about it. Before sin, before sin entered into the world, there was no, no need to be defensive, no need to ever feel insecure, no need to be indecisive, for we were certain of the love of God that was ours. We were certain of the security and provision of God, but that changed. It changed. We took our eyes off of God. We began to doubt His promises. We begin to look more intently at ourselves and the world around us. And we get stuck into a pattern of dealing with our discomfort, not in God's way, but in our way. And it never leads to good things. So what's the antidote to that? What's the antidote to that kind of fear? Well, the antidote to fear is neither to fight or to flee or to freeze, but to change the direction of our gaze, to put our eyes on God. God's people are terrified, and Moses says, today you will see the salvation of the Lord. There's a beautiful literary tool in the Hebrew language which conveys actually emotion of the narrator. You know, the Greek language of the New Testament is very technical, it's very practical, it's very straightforward. Hebrew is like, it's like talking to an Italian or something, you know? It's like everything is just passionate. Everything is an emotion. Everything is just, it's filled with energy. It's flavorful, it's fun, it's passionate. There's a way to do that in the Hebrew language. It's called the, the paragogic nun. Not like a nun in a convent, but like the nun, like the, like the Hebrew letter. And it's attached to the end of some verbs to express a particular emotion. The saying that what we're describing in this verb, it shouldn't be here. It doesn't fit with the story. It's not reasonable or rational. It, 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 is, it is a metaphor that is so unrealistic, and we're pointing it out to say, we didn't make a mistake, this is actually what we mean. It's a beautiful thing in the Hebrew language, and it's found here in verse 14, when Moses says, the Lord will fight with you, and you have only to be silent. There's this literary tool used in Hebrew to say, we know you're reading that, and we, think, and we know that you think that you're reading that wrong, but you're not. What the author is conveying is what I'm about to tell you, it's going to sound ridiculous. When you find yourself under the threat of pain in your life, your armor is not going to be swords and chariots or earthly weapons. Our armor is not our accomplishments or our sheer can-do attitude. Our rescue will not come from convincing people of our own self-worth. Our rescue will come from being still and silent before a God who loves us. And then Moses, using that paragogic nun, he just says, now think about that. That's where your rescue is going to come from. The Lord will fight for you. You just need to surrender and trust him. You'll see what he can do. And after hearing that, you're supposed to pause, you're supposed to ponder, you're supposed to receive it. And every instinct in your body when you are threatened and every instinct in the body and minds of the, of the Israelites is to not stay still and listen 
to God. It's to throw everything at the situation, to run away from it. But God invites you and I into a different response. That's to surrender our fears, our dreams, our hopes, our reputation, our future. It's to surrender our lives to him, knowing that he will fight for us and he will not leave us. There is no better invitation into the grace of God than the command, be still and watch. Okay, so what do I do? Be still and watch. Yeah, but what do I do? Listen, wait, and see what God will do. Give, give him your life. Trust in him. Thomas Keating was a Catholic monk who died just a few years ago, and he wrote um, a prayer. It's called the Welcome Prayer, and I want to read it for you as you re- read this with me. It says, Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open to the love and presence of God and God's action within. Amen. When I first read that, I thought, what a horrible prayer. (laughs) What a terrible thing to ask for. If I do this, who will look out for me? If I let go of my desire for affection, who will be affectionate to me? If I let go of my desire for control, then how do I know things will work out okay for me? If I let go of my ability to change situations and people, how do I know I won't be taken advantage of? The Lord will fight for you today, and you have only to be silent. When we look at the cross of Jesus, when we see, we see the salvation of the Lord in its most perfect and fullest sense, which means that we welcome discouragements that come today knowing that God is faithful, that he has put us there. It means that we can let go of our desire for approval, for we have the full approval of God through the righteousness of Jesus, not because of our work and our efforts. It means we can let go of our desire to to work feverishly in spiritual activity to please God because he died for our sins and he took our guilt upon himself and he's forgiven us. It means that we could let go of changing our circumstances because our lives are in the hand of God who's faithful and he'll stop at nothing. This is what it means to live by faith. This is what it means to be rescued and saved. This is what it means to know God and to go deeper. And so I invite you into that as God invites you into it. Whatever discouragement, whatever place that you feel cornered in, the Lord has led you there. And the purpose supremely is so that you would go deeper into knowing his love and faithfulness to you.